Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Attention à Nicolas Pepe, encore lui, voilà, qui crée des choses This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnar Blog. James, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Well, as you know, Andrew, I've had a, a strange start to the day. If you hear an extra bit of filament in my voice today, um, well, I, I'm missing my front tooth, basically. There's no, other, there's no sort of clever way of putting it. I'm missing my front tooth. So I, regular listeners may remember uh, I lost it some years ago, probably about five years ago. Well, I think it was more than that, wasn't it? It must have been know. longer than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a long, a long time ago. You didn't lose it per se. You didn't just sort of put it down somewhere. You know, someone removed it from your face with their fist. Is well, that not right? No, someone hit me in the face, yeah. and then the floor removed the tooth, Ooh. which I think is a crucial yeah. difference. You know, I don't want to give that guy the satisfaction, okay. but. Consequently, I've had a kind of fake uh, front tooth. It has come out before. It came out three years ago, and it's come out again last night. You know how people have a nightmare sometimes mm. that they that their teeth are falling out? Yeah. I very much lived that nightmare last night. <laughs> Fortunately, I woke up and was like, oh, there's my tooth in my hand, rather than just sort of swallowing it, yeah. which had to be a very real risk. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, it is one of those things. You know the way they say... You eat spiders in your sleep, X amount of spiders every year because, you know, you're asleep exactly. and they just crawl in there. But a front tooth, very few people will eat a front tooth. And I have to say thank you very much indeed for getting in touch so early this morning with a wonderful picture <laughs> of this. I was like 5.55 a.m. looking at my phone going, what? It's, how happened? would you describe my look without the front tooth? How would I describe? <sighs> it fits with my dress sense, really. It kind of does, you know, if you had the, the track pants, the old J-Train uh, track pants on and, yeah. you know, we discovered you were living under a bridge somewhere. It would fit very well into that it, kind it of oeuvre. It sits very nicely together. I mean, I need, I'm getting it fixed shortly. I mean, mm. after this, hopefully they're going to reattach it. It's not going to be too tricky. I'm supposed to be going uh, this evening to the Palladium to see Arsene Wenger talking about his book, and uh, I can't present myself in front of Arsene Wenger looking like this. No. That would be a disaster. Is that tonight? I think it is. Because so I, I, way back when this was organised, I bought tickets for this. Yes, I remember. I remember. So well, the, the, only, the only reason I uh, found out about it is that I was on 
Facebook, evil Facebook, last week, looking for us cast extra questions, as right. you do. And uh, I got served an advert for this event this evening. Right. So I went on there and all the tickets were for sale. So I imagine that your tickets from whenever must no longer be valid. Well, they I, must I, have just re- redone it. I've just checked my email and it says an audience with Arsene Wenger, OBE, and David Dean, MBE, at the London Palladium on Monday 9th of November has been rescheduled to Monday 19th of April 2021. So maybe there was more than one? Maybe. Maybe that right. they had to just organise another one to, just to flog the book because the book comes out this week, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, well, look, I've got some tickets for that one on Monday, the 19th of April, 2021. I'm assuming that we're all still going to be, you know, uh, in our, uh, well, that's a big How assumption. many teeth will I have by that point? <laughs> that's the real question. Well, you know, you're going to need teeth when it all goes wrong because I reckon there's going to be a lot of gnawing on things and trying to strip as much meat off bones as as it's possible to do so to True. stay alive. So I would I, recommend them using yeah. a good solid glue. You know, uh, what, what's that? Um, gorilla Christi- glue, yeah. Yeah. The gorilla glue, that's really <laughs> PVA. strong. PVA, I want some really industrial strength PVA. Yeah. Um, Are you going to get a gold one maybe? Get Just get a gold one or a ruby or... No, that's a bit uh, simply Righty red, isn't it? the gold one, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I'm going to get the same one. That's the thing. It's mm. literally sat over there. It's. I, I, I remember when I first had it fitted, because um, it's sort of an exact mould of the one that I lost, Um they when they put it in my mouth, I remember the dentist sort of look peering in, seeing what it looked like, and then sort of turning to each other and saying, "It's not yellow enough. It's not yellow enough." Oh, no. So they had to make it more yellow, so it fitted in with the rest of my teeth. Just make the others more white, please. Yeah, there was the opportunity. Get out with the 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 tipex. You know, I want to come tip-ex. back looking like Gabrielle. Do you know what I mean? After his transfer to Arsenal, he had a lovely set of gnashes on him. Roberto Firmino. That kind of thing. That's what we want. Unai Emery, I think, got his done during his time at Arsenal. He did he as well. He did. Premier League up. Brendan Rodgers. Well, of course. They're all at it. They're all at it. Yeah. Well, look, you know, they, they, those guys can be your inspiration. Unai Emery and Brendan Rodgers. What, you know, what better way could you uh, live your life than by the example they set? I guess some price had to be paid for the signing of Thomas Party. And along with the 50 million euros, it's me having to spend a day without any teeth <laughs> well I have uh, my commiserations and I hope it all goes well and painlessly and, and everything else and you come out looking as, as wonderful as you normally do at the end of this because it is one of those it is one of those nightmare things you know because you can't it really is. you can't hide it because you can't walk around you know talking like that the whole time because you know you keep your lips together can't do no. it and, I, and I was, as I was telling you, affair. I've got an audition today for a fairly substantial American TV show, and I cannot go to it looking like I live on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Unless like the am. character is a, some kind of crackhead. That's true. If it was a drug-addled vagrant, then I would be absolutely a shoe in yeah. But I think I'm supposed to be a member of some uh, foreign court. So I don't like in like you know the 18th century. I mean, they had bad teeth then. In fairness, exactly. They used to fucking shit in pots and throw it out the window. They didn't have yeah. toothpaste. Do you know what? Maybe I will go. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'll march in there and say, "Give me the damn job," and I'll flash them a smile, and they'll be so scared that they'll concede. Yeah. Um, who knows? Anyway, how has your international break been? 
It's been fine, to be honest. Um, I haven't really done anything at all, of course, apart from, sure. you know, day-to-day stuff like walking dogs, and that's it, because, you know, the world is what it is at the moment. I haven't really been yeah. paying much attention to any of it. I turned on to watch the Ireland game the other night, uh, just got to the end of the, was it Slovakia they were playing? and um, Very possibly, yeah. Uh, was it, did it go to penalties? It did go to penalties, and uh, Matt Doherty missed. Very, very spursy altogether. Hit mm. the bar, hit the bar. All the so, Arsenal has drained out of him because he was obviously a boyhood Arsenal fan, wasn't he? Matt? That's right. They made him delete all his um, um, Arsenal tweets. Yeah, like I love Arsenal. Arsenal are the best. Blah blah. Yeah, it was Slovakia they were playing, so we lost four two on penalties. Beyond that, I haven't really paid a great deal of attention to any of it. I'm just sort of sitting around hoping that none of the players get um, affected or infected or anything else by what's going on with COVID. Obviously, there's a, the Kieran Tierney situation. Do we know if he's isolating or not? Do we know if he needs to isolate or not? Um, you know, Arsenal were seeking clarification. Do we know if they've got any clarification? I don't know, actually. Uh, I know they were trying to get him back to London. Um mm. I mean, obviously, the players seems quite frustrated by the way things have played out, given that he says he's followed the regulations. Um, there's a difference, isn't there, in the interpretation of sort of how long you need to isolate between the SFA and the Premier League. Mm. I, I think my hunch, and it's only a hunch, is that Arsenal will will manage to get round it, just because if the Premier League rules say he only has to isolate for a week, then I guess they're the rules, right? Whatever the SFA mm. say. Yeah, so um, you think he'll be fit and ready and available for the um, for the Man City game? I think so, but like I say, I mean that is a, a pure hunch and just me looking at the mm. situation and saying what I think. Um, but you know, maybe by the time that game rolls around, he won't be the only player with that kind of hanging over him. I mean, mm. it does feel like that at the moment. It does a bit. Obviously, there was a, an issue with the Switzerland squad, wasn't there? Shakiri um, tested mm. positive, and Granit Xhaka is away with Switzerland. I don't know. I just feel like between airplanes and airports and dressing rooms and you know all the the bits and bobs that are going on. Like, are they are they traveling on two coaches to games, for example, so you can keep space between them? You know, I don't I don't really know how it's all. Even if work. they are, mm. you know, they're sharing the same air, aren't they? It's an airborne disease. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I I mean, I feel, you know, by the time we come back to the Premier League, maybe we won't have any <laughs> players available. Um, yeah. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. I, I did watch some international football. I watched uh, Bukayo Saka make yeah. his England debut against That's right. Wales. That's right. Playing as a left wing back, number three on his back. Um, had quite a good game, actually. Really grew into it. I mean, he, he was doing... Not a dissimilar job to the one he's done mm. for Mikel Arteta this season. He started at left wing back, but a lot of the time he was pushing centrally, pushing very high. Um, I thought it was a really, I mean, for a guy who's 19 years old and not long been 19, a really impressive international debut. Yeah, so um, that's him absolutely bedded into the England squad from now on because there was that question, wasn't there, about whether he was going to play for England or Nigeria. So uh, that's uh, well and truly done. Was he involved last night? England played last night as well? No, he wasn't. He actually wasn't even on the subs bench because Southgate's picked such a big squad that he has to leave some players out of the... Right. Because they've got three games, you know. It's kind of crazy. It's fucking mental, actually, isn't it? You know, I know um, 
the, the calendar is a bit fucked up. And I know there were Nations League games, a tournament I still have no real understanding of or why mm. it's why it exists. Um, and uh, if anybody out there wants to explain it to me, please don't, because I just don't care. I really don't care um, what the machinations are, what the reasons are for it. I just prefer to go on in some small little bit of ignorance about this, and mm. uh, I'm, I'm happy that way. I'm just happy. That's so please enough. don't, please don't ruin. I won't it for disrupt me. you. Yeah, but. Why did they have friendlies as well? Whatever about the need to play these Nations League games. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's... Um, I don't think we as fans of club football can really get too much on our high horse about, well, it's terrible playing international games in this COVID world when we're all anticipating games in the Europa League and the Champions League and everything else, right? I get mm-hmm. that. But what the fuck are they playing friendlies for? What is the point in that? And why, you know, if it's risky enough already, why are they just adding another layer of that to this uh, international break? Um, I have no idea. Uh, maybe the your Nations League games are of such importance and significance, you obviously need a friendly to warm up for them. Mm. Um that's the only plausible explanation, isn't it? <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's absolutely bizarre and unnecessary. And in fact, uh, you know, seeing how this has played out over the past few days, I have found myself, you know, just thinking that international football feels like a sort of leap too far, doesn't it? In a, in a mm. post-COVID world, why make life so much harder for yourself? Um, I know there are reasons. I yeah. know these... You know, I know they need these gate receipts. <laughs> <laughs> <Gate> receipts. <laughs> no, but I mean, genuinely, that is the reason that um, normally friendlies pl- happen. You yeah, know? like yeah. Or, or television televised rights, maybe is is what I should have said. But it does just seem completely pointless. But they um, buy. I, do they buy? Yeah, they buy the rights for the friendlies. But I mean, it can't be. It can't be that much. Um, I mean, seems it just seems inordinately it, risky. Yeah. No. I mean, England did play right against Belgium. Ainsley Maitland-Niles was on the bench. They beat the world-ranked number one team, Belgium. Hang on, um, what? Belgium is the number one ranked team in the world? Yeah. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Roberto yeah. Martinez is Belgium. How come you say Roberto Martinez, but Emmy Martinez? What's going on there? Uh, I don't know, actually. I just don't got, know. Just got used to saying Emmy Martinez rather than Emmy Martinez. Yeah, I think so. I right. think so. They, they both, their names are exactly the same. Yeah. Both got the old accent on the eye. Yeah. Exactly. I guess, I don't know, I'm, maybe I was more invested in Roberto Martinez. <laughs> maybe. He's the world number one the number international one coach manager, guys. In the whole world. That's yeah. mad. Mm. That is mad. Well, I mean, but, look, uh, 2020 England continues to surprise us. Exactly. In a team absolutely packed full of right-backs, England managed to get Kieran Trippier, Carl Walker and Trent Alexander-Arnold on the field together. Um, I thought Arsenal had a lot of right-backs, but England really taking it to the next level. Right. Well, fair enough. Um, So what has been happening in the the Arsenal world since last we spoke? Obviously, we did last week's Arscast Extra, but then we did do uh, another podcast um, the next day to talk about the signing of Thomas Partey to sort of offset the the sort of general sense of negativity we had about, um, you know, what was going to happen. There was an interview with Edu on the yeah. uh, official site. Um, maybe we had a question about that, if I can find it. 
Um, boom, boom, boom. Uh, it comes from Sajak on the Discord. Mm. Uh, do you think the recent Edu interview where he says uh, KSE greenlit the party acquisition seven months ago answers most of our questions on what do Edu do? Uh, is it a slight clap back on fans questioning his role, etc., etc.? So, um, what, first, what did you what did you think of the interview with Edu? I thought it was good. I thought yeah. it was really good. Um, and it's the sort of thing I think the club should be doing. And, you know, when Vin and I took sole control of the company, it's so weird talking like this, by the way, I can't get used to it at all. But <laughs> when Vin and I took sole control of the company, um, he said, or the club, that's a nicer word, isn't it? Mm. He said uh, that he wanted to improve the way the club communicated with fans. And I think, you know, interviews like this are a step in the right direction. I thought it gave a degree of insight and clarity in what Arsenal were doing. And I, I firmly believe that fans generally are very ready to believe in a plan. They just want to feel like there is a plan and they want to feel like, mm. you know, that they know what the the narrative is that they need to kind of, you know, apply to what the club are doing. And Arsenal putting out an interview like that enables them to kind of steer that. So I thought it mm. was... Smart. What did you think? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good to hear from him and good to hear him expand on on certain mm-hmm. things. Obviously, when you're, you know, when you're in a role like Edu, when you're speaking to an official club channel, I think you have the opportunity to present the very best version of events. Would that be fair to say? Without being mm-hmm. hugely cynical about it, I think it's... It no, gives there's you a bit that. of spin, yeah, for sure. of course. You know, and everybody is going to talk up the, uh, you know, the, the successes and the good things that they've done and maybe gloss over or completely ignore some of the things which didn't go so well, right? Because you're not mm-hmm. going to get that that um, combative questioning or, or somebody you know, looking at it in a different way because, you know, it's in the club's interest for that side of things to come out. So, you know, taking all that into account, I still thought it was good to hear from him. I was encouraged by the fact that he spoke so well about about things. I'm cautious, you know, because I'm cognizant of the fact that when other things or other people at executive level spoke in the not-too-distant past, we, we looked for all the positives in those and maybe they didn't play out as well as as we might have liked. So I think mm. early days, it was good to hear from him. It's positive. It's a step in the right direction in terms of communication, which I'm sure the club are keen to improve. Um, Vinay spoke about that, you know, quite uh, clearly, didn't he, about the need to improve communications. If this is part of that, then good. But mm. let's look at it as a small step forward. Um, and not jump to any definitive conclusions until we have, you know, a bit more time to decide whether Edu is doing a great job or a good job or an indifferent job or a bad job or anything else. Absolutely. And in terms of sort of the what do Edu do question, I think that, you know, Edu clearly does play a very active role in transfers, but that has changed a little bit since Rausenyehi went. And Mm. I think... You know, those questions were asked at a time when we had two people ostensibly operating in very similar areas, doing slightly similar jobs. That's now changed. So mm. it is very much, you know, an Edu and Arteta operation. So, you know, we are entering a period where we'll be able to sort of get a clear idea of his role and and what precisely, he, you know, he does and try and assess that. But I thought this was, like you say, a positive step. And actually, while I agree with you, there's obviously a little bit of spin applied to it. 
I think that's smart. I think that's what the club should be doing, rather than letting everyone else dissect and analyse and dictate the conversation around sure. their business. No, absolutely. I think that's. I think that's. Uh, you're right there. You know, it is part of what they need to do is to, um, you know, address some of the issues that they have and perhaps, mm. you know, think about how they 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 deal with certain things. You know, there have been a couple of moves recently which have been pretty bad. PR, you know, so, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know, trying to, to, to get a more professional message out there is, is no bad thing. So, um, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and what about, I mean, the big story, I guess, at the weekend was the news about the Premier League. Uh, what's it called? Like Project Fuck Everyone Else and We Project Premier League? Project Go Fuck Yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Project Fuck All The Rest Of You. Project We're Gonna Do What The Fuck We Want. Project Yes. Uh, this Is Ours Now. Project yeah, yeah, yeah. Project I Am The Captain Now. <laughs> from yeah. that whatever movie was Manchester United and Liverpool's um, scheme to kind of I mean it's a really interesting one because if you speak to some clubs in the lower divisions it's absolutely fine with them because they're like well this does at least provide us with an injection of cash theoretically mm. which we desperately need in order to survive if that means the big six or the big nine or whatever it is in, in the paperwork control the Premier League what does that matter ultimately to a team in League Two? Yeah, they, they don't really care, and I can see why this um, project will gain support from some of the teams further down the football pyramid. Mm. But I think for the Premier League, uh, it's potentially quite bad news. It is, you know, if if you know the big six, as they're so called, and uh, who else is involved? Southampton, Everton, and West Ham, I think. You know, it's moving towards a model which um, benefits only those teams at the top. And at the end of the day, while we all recognise there are financial disparities between clubs and, and that's a reality we all have to deal with, if you start stripping away um, quite deliberately and cynically the essence of sport from sport, mm -hmm. it becomes, well, maybe it already is, just... TV entertainment, mm. you know, the idea of sport is is some measure of equity or fairness or or everything else. And I know those are perhaps utopian ideals, and maybe it's it's naive of me to think like that. But it's you know I don't want to use Leicester as the example because you know they have their own funding and everything else. But Leicester were a club that were nearly relegated, and the next season won the Premier League. You know, in this kind of a system, that's just never going to be possible if the big six take more of the money from themselves. If a club, let's say, uh, lower down, attracts an owner who might level the playing field, if you like, or improve that team with their own funding, you know, these guys can veto that. I mean, mm -hmm. that's nonsense. It really is nonsense. It's It's the most cynical, opportunistic land grab from billionaires and vested interests that has no... Um, nothing to do with football, but everything to do with money, to do with uh, broadcasting rights, to do with power. You know, the the way they kind of dress it up is like, oh, look at what we can do for EFL clubs. It's just, it's it's terrible. It really is. Um, I, I can't, it's very cynical, isn't it? Because it, there hugely. is, you know, the, there is the plan to hand over the £250 million bailout uh, mm. required to save the Football League clubs. 
and you know everyone was is going to support that and that's going to get a, a groundswell of support but mm. you know it's a disguise it's a trojan horse isn't it for what's really going on um well i mean, I what mean what's like, interesting just, is go on sorry oh sorry <laughs> that was a real question of talking over us, each other but i was going to say to you I was going to put some of the supposed uh, proposals to you right. and see what you think of them. I mean, what right. do you think of the idea of the Premier League going down to 18 teams, for example, from 20? Um, fewer Premier League games, and they're getting rid of the, the League Cup as League well, Cup isn't it? League Cup and Community Shield right. go as well. So what's, what, is the, what is the thinking behind fewer teams, fewer games, which means more games... In Europe or perhaps towards yeah, a European Super League? Their argument is to ease fixture congestion, but clearly you can see it's also creating opportunity for potentially more European fixtures. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really care massively about if it's 18 teams or 20 teams. I have no great appetite for a European Super League, I have to be honest. Um, I mean, how many of the other... Big leagues are eighteen team leagues. Good question. Like uh, La Liga is twenty. Yeah, Serie A I think could be eighteen. Is it? Liga is twenty. Uh, Bundesliga is eighteen. Bundesliga is eighteen. Is it? Yeah. Uh, Serie A twenty is twenty. Okay, so. They're looking at the Bundesliga model, I guess. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I just think, you know, there are obviously things in the in the proposal which have been designed to make people go, well, that's probably a good idea. You know, there, there are things that might be beneficial to, to some of the smaller clubs, you know, in the EFL. Um, but that's part of why it's so cynically evil and Machiavellian. Is like, look at this. Look at all this good stuff we can do. The price, I'm afraid, is your soul. You know, it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's that kind of a it's that kind of a thing. So, you know, the fact that the Premier League themselves have come out and said, "Whoa, what the fuck, guys," tells you that think, there's you know some kind of. Well, they've. I mean, they've not been consulted, and nor have the majority of Premier League clubs at this point. Mm. So that's not going to sit well with anybody. I mean, the key reform is the idea that nine clubs, the nine clubs who've been in the Premier League longest at any point, which I think we can be pretty sure is going to be, you know, the big six and then mm. plus three, are given special voting rights on certain issues. Um, and that's where the big con- the big concern ultimately yeah. is, right? Yeah. I mean, it just it, it changes the balance of, um, yeah, I mean, it shifts all power and earning potential and it it takes away from you know i mean i think one of the the good things about the premier league and the way the tv rights are done at the moment obviously there's prize money and the more you're on tv etc etc but things like europe our worldwide rights are shared equally among Mm. teams in in the premier league and that's the right way to do it i just think if you it's already a, a a league in which there's only what two or three teams that can possibly win it. But below that, it remains pretty competitive. Um, Mm. So I don't know. I just don't... I don't think it's right. I think we're probably... Or they're trying to to, um, move towards a situation where those top nine clubs can never be relegated. Mm. And I don't think that's right. Um, 
you know, you, you your reward in sport should come from achievement, not from some kind of aristocratic uh, right to be there because you've been there as long as you have. You know, yeah. If Arsenal, if Arsenal got relegated because they played a terrible season, well, they'd fucking deserve it. You know, I don't. I don't want to live in a world where Spurs can't be relegated. Yeah, well, there you go. There you That's go. That's the dream that keeps me going. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing as well was the 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 announcement of pay per view games. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know this is only a temporary thing. That the initial thing is only till the end of October. I think I read that. You know, these uh, games are going to be broadcast on pay per view at fourteen ninety five per game. That's on top of your Sky subscription, on top of your BT Sports subscription. Um, I wrote about it today on the blog. If people want to have a read, uh, they can do that at arsblog.com and have a read of today's post. But I'm curious as to your thoughts on on their thinking behind the price point there. Yeah, I, I have to confess, I've not read your piece yet because I've been um, trying to solve my teeth-related issues, but <laughs> I look forward to doing that. I mean, uh, this only affects, I guess, UK fans, right? Yeah, it's for not, now. Yeah, for now. But, you know, one of the things that could be an upshot of these Premier League reforms is clubs getting the opportunity... I mean, one of the reforms is that they get the opportunity to control the rights for, I think it's at least six of their games per season. Maybe it's more than that. Um, so it could be... Uh, a more common occurrence in the future. Mm. I think it's just, I mean, listen, my immediate reaction is this is absolutely awful, horrendous. Uh, I don't want to pay £15 to watch anything. We're all under financial strain. The economy is in a complete nightmare. Read the fucking room. Do you know what I mean? That is definitely what I think. Uh, On the other side, I do accept that this is a case where we've been getting something for free that we weren't previously getting and therefore when a price is reattached to it it feels shit but ultimately we were all paying these sky subscriptions for i don't know whatever it was like six games a month or whatever it is that guarantees us before and you know doing that not happily but accepting that was the rules now then covid happened we get all the games for free on top of it and now we don't want that to change so I have a bit of sympathy for the idea that, you know, you can't just keep giving something away for nothing if you've attached a value to it and you've got a TV deal you want to renew, which puts a value on those fixtures. Do you sure. know what I mean? No, I do understand. I understand. I think you have to you have to look at this, um, you know, what we got when football restarted uh, with every game being broadcast. You know, mm. I don't think they had any choice to do something like that because you know football had been gone for three months you know this this wasn't something that they gave us out of the generosity of their hearts you know they had to try and maximize um their own revenues from this so that's why you had games played at weird weird times all across the weekend you know every game equals more advertising and everything else that they can show on their tv channels and everything else and i I think um Politically, the return of football had to be seen to be in the public interest. So, uh, you know, making it available was definitely part of that. Yeah, of course, because football uh, coming back helped lift the public mood and everybody felt brilliant again. And it it, it, it ended showed. COVID, as far as yeah, I remember. Exactly. You know, fucking bullshit. <laughs> but, you know, the, this 1495 thing, it just yeah. strikes me as, as greedy and really short-sighted. And the argument is, of course, you don't have to. 
if you don't want to. Of course. Same with anything. What else are you going to do? What else can we bloody do? Yeah, but like, (laughs) it just strikes me as really daft. Because all you do when you price it at that is... You put off a lot of the fans of the respective clubs, right? There'll be some fans yeah. from Arsenal and some fans from Leicester who will sit down and say, well, I want to watch that game. It's fourteen I'll pay it and I'll watch it and hopefully Arsenal will win and I'll get some value for money. A lot of people will say, fuck that. I'm not paying that. I'm going to find a stream somewhere. And, you know, uh, Premier League football has a mature audience, but a very young audience as well. A lot of really tech-savvy people out there who can just sit there, pick up their tablet, pick up their phone, stream from their phone to their TV or whatever else, and they can find a stream in perfect HD. And 1495 is too much for them to say, you know, they're just not going to do it, right? So you immediately lose a a big part of your potential audience of Arsenal fans and Leicester fans. What I think you do 100% is you completely rule out any casual fan or so-called neutral fan paying any money to watch that game because they just simply will not do it. I wouldn't pay $14.95 to, to watch Burnley against Southampton or Manchester United versus Manchester City even. I just would not do it. If it was super easy and you're sitting there with your remote control and it it's like literally a click of a button on your remote control and it's a fiver to watch a game, I think I a think lot of people, people would be... Yeah, people would do it. Of course yeah. they would, because as as easy it is as it is for many people to, to find the streams, a lot of people don't want to do that or can't do that or don't know how to do that. But if it was like as simple as one, two, three, turn your TV on, press your Sky fucking remote and press button green to buy the thing for a fiver, which is the price of a pint, mm. uh, you know, people will do that. I think they would do that. They'd be tempted to do that, not just for their own uh, team's games, but other team's games. You sit there and you can say, well, that's a fiver. I'll fucking, you know, I'll pay that. It's a yeah, pint yeah, yeah. in the pub. Um, but fourteen ninety five is, you know, a few drinks in the pub. And in the pub, you've got your mates, you've got some atmosphere, you've got peanuts, you've got, you know, it's warm, you know, it's a bit of crack. And, you know, you can't justify that. The other part of this as well is that what they're selling you for fourteen ninety five is this, I won't say fake football. But it's, yeah. it's, it's not football as we knew it. It's like empty stands. No crowds, fake crowd noise. It's a, as I said in the blog today, it's a fucking burger without the meat, you know? Mm. So I just think... That's a very good point. I mean, it feels like they have arrived at £15, kind of relative to the price of a match-going ticket. But not only is watching a game on TV a, a dramatically different experience, but also we're not watching the proper product on the TV. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. not even a game with a crowd, with atmosphere. It's this weird, you know, hospital football that we're watching. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I completely agree with you. If it's £5, people will pay for games, I think, you know, out of convenience and the ease of it. Mm. If it's £15... No way. And it's fucking Burnley Crystal Palace. I know. <laughs> it's so funny. Every time someone does it, a, a sort of... It always like includes that, Burnley. Every single time. <laughs> like, Burnley's PR must be like, this has been a nightmare for us, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> But I have no sympathy. Burnley I'm, versus Brazil. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, £15 
for a, for a game you're not invested in. Yeah. No chance. No way. No way. So maybe maybe they'll have a rethink on that. They'd be wise to have a rethink on that. I think what's slightly interesting is now a little step towards paying for games that you want. You mm, know, the yeah. ability to buy games that you want. Because there's still only a limited number of games on the, the Sky and BT platforms. Mm. You know, um, as one of the big clubs, we're lucky because we get shown a lot. I think there was somebody on the Discord made this point, did they? Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, because if you're outside the big six, you're going to be paying that £15 a lot more. Yeah, uh, Treacher, who's on the Discord, says, uh, with regards to pay-per-view, do you feel like they start, they, they're they going to start pushing big games intentionally to be gated by pay-per-view and put the smaller mid-table teams in the common time slots in order to harvest more money? Otherwise, assuming the 2018-19 schedule, Arsenal fans would only need to pay for 10 games, while a fan from the likes of Burnley... Uh, could be looking at paying for 31 games each season. So it might be a case that your Super Sunday, you know, the big game, the Man City versus Liverpool, mm. the Arsenal versus Tottenham, the United versus... Ah, the United aren't big games anymore. Anyway, um, you know, those games are going to be the ones that you're going to have to pay for. And it will be the Burnley versus Burnley. You know, that's well, going to be, the you know, the, the, the free-to-air. I, I, I'm curious to see what are the televised games on the weekend we play Leicester because that's going to be our first pay-per-view game but you have to think that Leicester Arsenal that was, is a very yeah. attractive fixture that you would imagine I mean who knows ordinarily I would expect that to be televised via the normal means what are the uh, Sky Sports Premier League so, do you know what I mean so it yeah. does feel like that might have started already I mean they know you know Arsenal fans are rabidly passionate about following their team Maybe uh Okay, maybe so they... the so when is the when is the Leicester game? Um it's on the twenty fifth. Twenty fifth. So that weekend on Friday it's Aston Villa Leeds. Right. West Ham Man City is on at twelve thirty. This is only Sky Sports, I don't know what's on BT. Mm-hmm. Um Fulham Crystal Palace no, West Ham Man City's not on TV. So that could be on BT, actually. Um, Man United versus Chelsea is on Sky Sports. Liverpool versus Sheffield United is on Sky Sports box office. So that's pay-per-view on Saturday evening. And then, sun- ah, for fuck's sake, seriously, Sunday at quarter past seven. That's mm. an absolutely shit time for a game, isn't it? Meanwhile, at two o'clock, Southampton versus Everton is on Sky Sports. Yeah. As are Wolves versus Newcastle. As is Wolves-Newcastle. Which is the Super Sunday game. So, yeah, Yeah. it could well be that these games are... These games are... Yeah, well, there you go. Who knows? I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I suspect that they'll present us with some sort of paid alternative, which, given the awfulness of what they've presented will feel like a, a small victory mm. do you know what I mean it'll be like here you can get a club season ticket for X pounds or buy a, a monthly package to get all the pay-per-view games for this and you'll feel like oh well compared to paying 15 pounds for everything that's a saving mm. but ultimately it's still more money at a time when not everybody has more money um yeah and look I, there's an element of 
the money being useful to clubs as well because there are no tickets being sold so some of that revenue is going to go to the club at a time when they need the revenue etc yeah. etc et benefit more than the channels apparently right let me ask you are you going to pay 14.95 for arsenal versus leicester or Leicester versus Arsenal. Where is it? Which one is um, it? Is it Leicester versus Arsenal or Arsenal? Yeah, it's Arsenal, Arsenal Leicester. versus Leicester, sorry. Assuming uh, that you're not going to be, you know, let's say you're not working at yeah. the game, uh, would you well, pay? I'm hoping that I'll be able to bill it to the Athletic. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, if you're asking me as a fan... Yeah. Well, this, I mean, this, it's really, it's a difficult one. It's a difficult one because, listen, I, I do love the streams. You know, stream, I don't... I understand why people would use a stream, but there is that slight uncertainty of, like, oh, is it going to go down? Is it... You know what I mean? Mm. Like, am I going to get a pop-up that, at the moment that Aubameyang puts the winner in? So I have to confess that out of sort of laziness and convenience, there is a chance that I might pay that for an Arsenal game. Mm. For me, it's more the point that I absolutely won't for any other game. Do you know what I mean? Mm. What about you? Oh, you won't have to. Why won't I have to? Oh, is it the same situation in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, basically, we're the same when it comes to to Sky Sports and BT. BT Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, we have, or we did have. I don't know if it's still the case, but we did have some three o'clock Saturday games uh, on Mm. a different channel called, I think it's Premier Sports. um, Yeah, that you uh, can subscribe to. Uh, But again, that's another subscription. I think I will stream it. Find some other means. Not that I'm condoning illegal behaviour, blah, 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 but they can fuck off with 14.95. Absolutely fuck off. You know? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, how much, do, yeah. how much do I pay for fucking Sky anyway? Quite a lot if you've got Sky Sports. I've got Sky got Sports. Sky Sports and BT Sports. Yeah. I think you're already paying at least 50 quid. At least. I would say. Might be more than that, you know. I think the BT Sports subscription is done through Satanta Sports here. Or is yeah. it? I don't know. But that's My like 25. My like 70 quid, I think. And I don't have Sky Movies. I don't have my broadband through Sky. Yeah. That's just the TV. Yeah, mine mine is around that too. 70 or 80 because you've got to pay extra for HD and shit like that. So 70 or yeah, 80 yeah. plus BT Sports plus Premier Sports, you know. It adds up too much. It's too much. So. Well, the, the, uh, I forget who said this online. I saw this in, in, in the conversation. It might have been Tim Stillman. Usually is. He's a clever man. But the genius of sort of Netflix uh, and Spotify is that they they took a really good product and they made it seemingly available at kind of an affordable price mm. and consequently got themselves millions of subscriptions. And the Premier League, I think, have just fundamentally overpriced or overvalued their products. They are, maybe they've worked it out and they think if we get just the fans of those teams, that will be enough. But I, mm. I don't, I can't see that being the case as compared to what they would normally expect from no. the figures for those games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and isn't part of the reason why the Premier League is so valuable as a, you know, in inverted commas, product, the, the eyeballs, if you like. You know, they can sell the advertising, the sponsorships, the, the, the advertising slots in between games and everything else. So, And it is a diminished product at the moment. That's particularly galling about it. Yeah. That, you know, we're putting our hands in our pockets for something that isn't 
it isn't really what anybody wants. Mm. I'm looking forward to the next uh, Martin Tyler thing where he goes, it's Burnley versus Crystal Palace and it's live for £15. And nobody's watching. Shit. <laughs> Shit. Well, there'll be nobody in the stands, will there? Yeah. I mean, I do wonder if, like, some... This does actually feel like you could do quite an effective organised boycott. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Of a game. Uh... Because you wouldn't have to miss it, as we've said many times. Mm. There are other means. Mm. Right. Not that I'm condoning it, but there are other means. There are indeed. All right. Um, Let's take a little break here. We'll come back with some of your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. So let's kick off the questions, James, mm-hmm. with one that I should have in front of me, but I don't. Uh, fuck's sake. Well prepared as always. Okay. Um, it comes from Freddy LJ on the Discord. And you mentioned earlier that you're going to the London Palladium tonight. He says, what are you hoping for from the Wenger book on its release tomorrow? Hmm. Well, we've been spoiled, haven't we, recently with Arsene Wenger content? He's been doing the rounds, certainly. Um, and there have been some great pieces. Uh, I enjoyed the one he did with, was it France Football or Le Keep? I forget now. Uh, he did a great one with The Times and with The Observer. What am I hoping for? Um, my hopes are sort of relatively... I'm not expecting him to dish the dirt on much. And I think he's basically said as much in his mm. interviews. That wasn't his intention. I mean, you know, he doesn't mention Jose Mourinho once in the book, Mm. um, which I think tells you something about how he has gone about it, you know, and also probably tells you what he thinks of of Jose Mourinho. But uh, it's not a book that he's used to, you know, 
grind axes or mm. you know, uh, kind of square vendetta with anybody. Yeah, I mean, he's not that kind of character anyway, but... Um, no. Yeah, it doesn't feel like he's going to be dishing the dirt or, you know, there would be serializ- serializations of that kind of stuff, wouldn't there, if... I think so. You know, you the know. Times have got um, serialization rights and you'd think they would have run anything very, very controversial at mm. doors. But what am I looking forward I, I think... Listen, I, I love listening to Arsene and he's written it himself. He's reading the audio book himself, which, you know, is going to be a great listen. Classic mm, I'm Landon. not sure about that. I'm not really? sure. I'm not convinced by the audio book thing at all. Why? I just remember seeing Arsene do a few things like that before where he kind of had... He's an amazing speaker. Don't get me wrong. I think he's uh, an incredible orator. I think he's brilliant in press conferences and at events and put him behind the microphone or in front of a group of people and he can hold court brilliantly. I think he's, you know, he's amazing. Think of all those times where, you know, the the uh, the AGMs were getting a bit tetchy and there was some frustration being expressed and Arson would stand up. And even though some of these happened at a time when people were frustrated with him, when he stands mm. up and talks, it's just like he's got this ability to communicate to a room and everyone goes, oh, wow, that's, that's cool. I just remember a few times where he you know, has had to read from scripts and it hasn't been quite the same. So I I wouldn't be getting the audiobook version myself. Right, right. Do you think you should have got the gig, the voiceover gig? <laughs> that would have been quite good. That would have been, yeah. That, yeah. Um, would have been a fun one to do. But yeah, I am... Um, the thing I've always really enjoyed most about listening to Arsene is hearing him talk about players and his his descriptions of players and their, their abilities and motivations... Uh, and I think that it will be fascinating to hear him talk about the people that he's worked with uh, in depth. And I think he will do that because, you know, he's passionate about talent and mm. about individuals. So, you know, that was one of the things I really missed when Unai Emery came in is that he would never talk about an individual. Do you know, it was always yeah. about the team. And if you could ask him, you know, oh, didn't... Um, you know, whoever it was, Petr Cech play well today. And he would deflect and be like, the team had a good performance. Yeah. Whereas Arsene would always sort of give you an insight into the man and the person behind the athlete. Yeah. Uh, and I always appreciated that. So I think hopefully there'll be room for some of that in the book. What about you? I know we're going to do a podcast on it. We we spoke mm. about this myself and yourself and and Andrew Allen are, are probably going to do a podcast on it. There's part of me that doesn't want to read it. Really? Yeah. Why? I just feel like I don't know if it's like I don't want to be let down by it or if. Mm if perhaps some of the most interesting aspects of what Arsene Wenger has to say or could reveal are things that he, because of his nature, won't reveal. Mm, mm. You know, you talk about him talking about players. I don't think he's going to lambaste anybody. No. I I don't think he's going to be critical of somebody. You know, he might say, well, this guy, you know, had a lot of potential but didn't fulfill his potential and blah, blah, blah. I just wonder if it might be a bit sanitized. 
because the idea that we're going to get explanations for some of the things that have happened in 20 odd years at Arsenal, the things that, you know, frustrated us or excited us or or we could find no rational explanation for but but happened anyway I, I think he will respect the sanctity of the dressing room I think he'll respect the sanctity of the boardroom mm. and I just wonder if it might be I hope I'm wrong but I just wonder if there might be I'm not saying that what's in it won't be good but mm-hmm. are we going to be um, frustrated or or perhaps a bit let down by what's not in it. Oh, but- I, I think that's quite likely. I do. And um, that's not to kind of poo-poo it and say it won't be worth reading because, you know, Arsene's a really interesting guy. And I think it will be, you know, principally interesting from a sort of point of view about, if it's not too grand a word, sort of his philosophy. Mm. You know, that's what he's going to talk about. And I think if you... If you listen to what he said in his interviews, he said, the reason I've written this book is for my family. You know, I wanted them to be able to read about the life I've had in the future. But in doing that, you know, you're you're admitting to effectively presenting a, a curated idea mm. of your life, you know, and especially if you write it yourself and you haven't got someone pushing you and saying, yeah. now let's talk about that. Let's talk about that difficult time. Let's talk about that painful time. Let's talk about those final few years of your time at Arsenal when yeah. maybe you you things didn't go. Well, yeah, you intended. exactly. His version of it is his we version his of version. it. Yeah, we, but, yeah, but it is. But then what about if somebody, I don't, don't mean challenges you on it, but gives you or pushes you into looking at it from a different perspective, mm. you know? Yeah. So, so you should have co-written it and done the... Oh, no, yeah. I'm not saying that. I don't want to be, the, <laughs> I don't want to be the, you know, the the guy who uh, or come across in any way as somebody who might do that. I just mean that as as a work of literature, yeah. it 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 strikes me that okay, look, how much can you realistically expect from somebody who, as we all know, um, in his own mind, did everything he could in what he thought was the right way for the club. And, you know, and, you know was characterised as somewhat myopic. And, you know, to an extent was. He had a very clear vision of what yeah. he was trying to do. And even in the worst moments, that, that didn't mm. really falter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it is a situation where... I mean, look, we haven't read it. We haven't read it. No, but no, no. Judging from what I've heard so far from people who have read bits and pieces and from the bits of serialisation I've seen and the interviews I've heard about it... Yeah. It does feel like a situation where a ghostwriter would have been beneficial. A ghostwriter does more than just transcribe what you say. They yeah. construct the narrative, you know, yeah. and um, Arsene is a very intelligent man, but that intelligence, you know, could be used to tell a story that doesn't quite cover every base. Sure. Um, Did you read the bit in The Observer over the weekend, the questions that he was asked about yeah. things? And then there was one, I think... Um, uh, an answer to a question from actor Saffron Burroughs, who said, did you feel like you were leaving your life's work when you left Arsenal? And he said it was the end of a love story, etc., etc. Mm. But then he said, I wanted to cut my link with the club completely because the club wanted that as well. How did you interpret that? Well, yeah, because one of the other things he said in interviews is, I would definitely have accepted a place on the board mm. if it was offered to me. And I have to say, that didn't ring true with me. I I think that um, 
Well, for a start, I don't see how those two things can be compatible, you know? Like, how could he want a complete break but also have been willing to take a place? Well, as he said, I wanted to cut my link because the club wanted that as well. He didn't say, I wanted to cut my link um, because of the way they treated me, but because that's what what Arsenal wanted. And I, I suppose you can look at it in a couple of ways. One might be that it's... You know, it's disrespectful in some way to a man who'd been at the club for so long, um, you know, to say, look, you're out of here and stay away. If that's what it was, it might have been a case that they were saying, look, you've been here for so long. We have to go in a different direction now. So, you know, the idea of Arsene Wenger sitting in the boardroom, sitting in the director's box, sitting in the stands, overlooking the new manager you know, would it have been a distraction in some ways? Um, I, like, I don't think it would have made what happened under Unai Emery any worse, but you can sort of look at it from the point of view of like wanting to give the new man like a completely clean slate without constant comparison to, well, under Wenger, you know, look at Wenger's face when Arsenal concede a goal, you know, they cut to the stands yeah, yeah, and there yeah, he is yeah. going like, Jesus Christ, you know. That kind of a thing. I suspect it was more the latter than the former. Yeah, and I think that was the right decision, I have to say. I think Arsenal needed to try and give whoever followed Emery, you know, a clear run at it mm. uh, and not have the shadow of Arsene looming over him literally mm. as well as figuratively. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the right thing. I mean, that, but you touch on an aspect of the book that I think will be... Uh, not, I'm not going to say difficult reading that will be interesting is the degree to which his pain is evident in mm. the book, you know, and I just, and even in the little bits and pieces I've heard from him, I think there is going to be some of that. I think he was clearly very hurt by what happened. And, and, and yeah, that's why I say it doesn't ring entirely true to me that he would have stayed not as manager. I mean, you know, if you think about the degree to which he was insistent on his authority, you know, I don't want a director of football. Uh, I'll stay to the end of my contract. The idea that you'd be kind of moved aside. I just don't think he would have accepted it then. Would he accept it now? Possibly. Um, but, you know, we're a long way on from that. And he's not gone on and managed another club, which he was insistent again that he would do. Um it, I, I'd be. I'd love to think there was a way the club could involve him in future in some capacity, and I don't mean technical director. You yeah. know, I just I mean some sort of associated presidential or you know uh, board role where he could have an input without having to be you know the guy. I would love that. I think that'd be great, and I think mm. he would feel contented by that sense of coming home. Um, but whether it's a club that he would recognise, I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, sure, but it's a club that still has uh, the same owners. It's a club that's being managed yeah. by one of his former players uh, you know, and protégés, if you like. It's a club and the same where fans, the academy, you know, is is being run by one of his former captains as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so and, and obviously the fans. So, I mean, it always felt like there was a need for some water to go under the bridge before anything like that could happen. Um, It's weird now, of course. You know, I think under normal circumstances, if Mikel Arteta had been, um, you know, when he took over, if fans were in the stadiums, you know, if the COVID thing hadn't happened, I think we probably would have seen Arsene Wenger back at the Emirates before now. You know, for for a home game towards the end of last season, uh, I, I think we probably would have. Mm. 
But uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe if there were games happening now, I mean, it'd be a good way to promote the book. <laughs> Turn up at the Emirates. Yeah, it would. And look, I am going to read it, obviously. I am, because we're going to talk about it. And it's one of those things yeah. you, you have to read. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those where you're, you're kind of going, oh, come on, just be good. Hopes were so high as well, you know, so... <laughs> Maybe like, maybe it will be surprised. Yeah, Who we're knows? not going to find out what happened with Chu Young Park. That's not what's going to happen. That's why I'm going to uh, the Palladium. Ask to it, stand ask on my it. chair and say, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, on the subject of revelatory interviews, Capaguna asks, well, they say, first of all, really enjoyed your chat with Nicholas Bentner. And then they have three questions. What was your biggest takeaway from your conversation? How did your opinion of Nicholas change uh, and then any more awesome interviews you've stashed away in your hard drive we can look forward to. Oh, okay. Um, what was the first one? What was what my was biggest, biggest takeaway? Take yeah. I just thought it was a really nice guy, really personable, um, very open to to talking, really, you know, in the book he explains that he was an Arsenal fan as a kid, and I never knew that. I didn't know he was an I Arsenal fan. I didn't know fan. that either, yeah. yeah. So he... You know, he has a real connection with the club and a real love for the club. And I know that there are people who who don't perhaps view his time at Arsenal in the same way. I mean, he puts to bed some myths, you know, that 52 was not 52,000 for his mm-hmm. wage package, stuff like that, um, which isn't to say that he behaved in the most professional way. Um, so it was just that, really, that he was a, a, a nice guy. I was never like somebody who disliked Nicholas Bentner. Um it became a bit circus-like for a while, I think, you know, with the, the situations that he had with going on loan and everything else. But yeah. he, he just seemed like a really nice guy, and I enjoyed chatting with him. Um, and he wasn't, you know, in the book as well, he's he's pretty honest about, about everything. What was the second part of the question? Just how did your opinion of him change? Yeah, I mean, it didn't really... Okay, the book was interesting to me because... Um, if you read it in one way, you could say, well, this guy, you know, he had this amazing opportunity to Mm. have a career in professional football. His lifestyle was the big takeaway for me. His lifestyle was not in any way, uh, what's the word? Conducive, exactly, to having a career at the top level to the extent that he said he wanted to have one, right? You know, mm-hmm. the the talk about how he wanted to be one of the, the best strikers and comparing himself to some of those people. You can't, for all the talent you might have, you can't live the way he did and expect for that to be the case. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the thing that came across to me, like from a really early age, as soon as he started earning money, he started spending money, the parties and, and everything else. So you could look at that and just go, well, what a fucking waster. What a, you know, um, you could be critical of that, I suppose. But he doesn't look for sympathy at all in the book. He's not saying, poor me, it was so hard because I had so much money and blah, blah, blah. It wasn't that. So I, I think for me, there was a sadness to him and his career and some of the people who were around him and some of the people who took advantage and people did try to put him on the straight and narrow, but he wasn't really prepared to listen to it. Um, But you come away from it, you don't come up, well, I certainly didn't come away from it thinking, what a waster, 
what a dickhead, what an idiot. There were times and certain things that he did where you go, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But I kind of felt a bit more sorry for him than I thought I was going to feel. Because there was a lot going on in his life, professionally, unprofessionally as well, um, rather than saying off the pitch. Um, so, yeah, that was that was kind of it. It was like, oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. But Yeah, I, I think it is quite sad. I mean, he did a, an interview with one of the newspapers this weekend as well. and Yeah, in The Guardian know, with Donald McRae, So That's right, yeah. talking about the, the casinos, you know, and yeah. gambling. And, you know, very quickly you can see how someone who's very young, um, who everything's seemingly going right for, earning an, an extortionate amount of money, can kind of lose control in that situation. Mm. And, um, you know, I know we tend to not be too sympathetic to millionaire athletes. And I understand why that is, but at the end of the day, they are young people making mistakes and he made his mistakes in a very public way Mm. and in a way that was very costly to him. Um, So yeah, I, I I think I, uh, I agree with you. I think he came across as much more, I mean, he's an older guy now and a bit more level headed, presumably. Yeah. And I found it really interesting sort of hearing about his upbringing as well, you know, um, and how his sort of degree of confidence was kind of imbued in him from when he was a child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's interesting. These figures become kind of... He's, he sort of became a bit of a meme, didn't he? And then you, you realise there's a person behind that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and like I said, I wrote about it over the weekend, and I think the book is well worth yeah. uh, a go for, for most Arsenal fans. You know, the, there's an element of, you know... There's a, an element of laddishness to it, but then he was a bit of a lad, so um, that that sure. wasn't necessarily to my taste. But I just think as an overall picture of a, a footballer and a person, it's it's uh, it's really well put together. And the uh, the author Runish Kaim Nielsen really does kind of capture his voice as we're talking about uh, ghost writers and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's a question from uh, we have a couple of questions here. One from Prasan Kumar, who says uh, he's at Prasan underscore Kumar, who says it seems Saliba is staying with us, according to David Orn. Do you see this as good for his development and confidence? And uh, Gunnar underscore DS, who's at Gunnar underscore DS, says, wouldn't the Europa League group games have been suitable experience for William Saliba? I mean, you would have thought so. Mm. I, I mean, I think what's happened here is that they tried to move him to France. It was all lined up. It didn't go through, right? And, you know, Saint-Étienne felt that Arsenal let them down a bit on the paperwork. I've always been a little bit dubious about the idea he would go and play in the championship. I sort of think if there's a player with fragile confidence in a funny way, I think that might be kind of the worst thing for them, even though it's down a league. I just think it's such a competitive environment. Mm. I slightly fear for him there. Yeah. But um, I mean, is that not, is that not, okay. You've got a balance, don't you? The, the, the protecting a young player versus mm. like, well, can we wrap, wrap them in cotton wool or do we not need mm. to see how they react in a situation which is perhaps not what they were expecting? Yeah, I mean, there's something to that. I know, for example, Emil Smith-Rowe really impressed Arsenal when he went down to play in the Championship despite all his injury problems. It's a very physical league. He went and played in a relegation dogfight with Huddersfield and I know that made a really positive impression because, you know, it was out of his comfort zone. Um, I just wonder with Saliba, given that you know, clearly there are technical issues and and sporting issues, but there are seemingly personal issues as well. I just wonder if it might be a little bit more sensitive at the moment. Mm. Um, 
And my suspicion is they'll resurrect a move to France in January. Nonetheless, I am surprised he's not been named in the Europa League squad. Um, because, you know, with the greatest respect to our opponents in that group stage, they are an opportunity, aren't they, for him to get games. And he's not going to be playing any other games between now and January, it seems. Mm. What do you think? Um, I mean, yeah, the Europa League feels we like... We had an extra spot, didn't we? That's the thing. I think we, we could have named him, and we didn't. Could we? Mm. Mm. I think we only named 24. Mm, but I, did we not name our full contingent of non-locally trained players? Wasn't that it? You know, it's not. It's not ah, that we. Maybe, it's maybe. not that we had space for an extra foreign player in inverted commas. Right, it was that we. Seventeen. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's that we had room for another homegrown player who we don't have in the squad. I don't know if that's right, though. You know, Andrew. Right. Because I'd have to. I'd have to look at it again. I'm. Uh, I don't know. I anyway. don't know. I'd have to look again. I seem to remember at the time that that uh, was right. But I'm looking at the squad now, and God knows. Look, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange situation, as we said here before. The expectations were too high, but I don't think expecting a 28 million pound signing to be in your Europa League squad at least is too much to ask for. Um, so whether people now start to have questions about the the wisdom of that deal, or or how you spend that money or how that money was spent, that's another thing. But, uh, you know, what we can 100% uh, come to the conclusion on is that he is viewed as not ready. And that's, that's for all the, yeah, well, for all the talk of his inexperience, for all the talk of the personal issues uh, and everything else, for a £28 million signing not to be ready to even play Europa League or Carabao Cup football, Europa League against, you know, um, opposition that you would fancy him to be uh, competent against is maybe just a little bit worrying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is. It's extremely worrying. And, um, you know, we're not really going to get answers on it for a, a long time, are we? Mm. I don't think... You know, we're going to see Saliba really play for Arsenal probably until, what, mm. next season? Um, it doesn't feel like that right now anyway. No, I mean, I if he... see where he's going to get that opportunity if it's not in the Europa League. He doesn't have to be named in the... Does he have to be named in the Premier League squad? I think he does because right. he's, he's not been with us for two years. So okay. I think he, he does, yeah. I think he can be. I think there is room, but he wasn't named in Europa. Right. Yeah, well, that squad um, comes out on October 20th, so there'll be some some more discussion on that. There'll be more then. headlines again, for mm. sure. Um, what about this from Nigel Farmstall on Twitter, who says, now that it seems Cronky has injected some money into the club, should we all still consider him to be a terrible owner? What would the Cronkies have to do to win over the fan base? And then uh, Lammy G81 says, is it finally time to put to bed the notion that the Cronkies don't support Arsenal in the transfer market? Maybe so. I mean, look, when you when you look at what Arsenal have spent, we're just we're just talking about um, twenty eight million pounds on an eighteen year old. 
Mm-mm. who'd barely played, you know, and £72 million on Nicolas Pepe. Mm. So that's £100 million that we spent last summer for two players who aren't starters. Mm-hmm. Or haven't yeah, been absolutely. started. Certainly Pepe wasn't a starter, you know, uh, in the Premier League so far this season. And I hope, obviously, that that changes. Um, you know, the goal that he scored in the last game um, will be the thing, hopefully, that will will kick him on. So it's not really that, you know, we haven't spent money. It's how we've spent money um, that's been the issue. The, the refinancing of the stadium debt has freed up some money, which I think has gone some way to sorting out deals so far in the transfer market. I just, we don't really know the details, do we, of how this financial help came for, for Thomas Party. I know Edu said they greenlit the deal, but was it a question of we're giving you the green light and here's a bag of cash, go throw it on the table at La Liga? Or is it a yeah. case that we give you the green light to use the money that's you know resting in this particular account that was being held in reserve Etc. Etc. You know, Mm-mm-mm. but I mean, at least they are doing some uh, things behind the scenes, which are freeing up cash to invest in the team at a time when it's difficult to invest. So, yeah, look, are they terrible owners? Um, yeah, probably. You know, <laughs> but uh, if they're more involved and if they're more responsive to somebody like Mikel Arteta. Um, because they can view the potential in him, then, okay, maybe that's a good thing. Exactly. I mean, look, whatever way you slice it, it's a it's a positive development, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Arsenal, you don't need to be a finance... You don't need to be Swiss Ramble to look at the numbers yeah. and say Arsenal couldn't buy this player on their own. Do you know what I mean? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, uh, we've got a couple more. Um, one from Dumbledore. Dumbledore's Gunt on the Discord. Any worries of a post-contract funk with Aubameyang? Not scored since he signed, and several difficult matches coming up which might limit his efficacy. Good question. I mean, you know, especially given that we have seen that in the past with Arsenal players signing new contracts and then not living up to them. But I don't have any big concerns at this point. It's a good point to point out that I said point a lot there, that we've got some tough fixtures coming up. I mean, United away, uh, Leicester at home, we mentioned Man City away. You know, if you've got a Bamiang in your fantasy team, it's probably not the best time. But mm. I still think over the course of a 38-game season, we are going to see value from him. Um, do you have any worries? No, not really. It's too early, I think, to, to have uh, worries. I worry a little more about the crack he got in the ankle the other week yeah I mean I tell you what though when he got that tackle and I, my heart was in my mouth because I suddenly thought mm. imagine us without him I mean that is that's the scarier thought to me and I think this is quite an exciting time for Aubameyang because we saw the way the team lined up in those final few minutes against Sheffield United mm. and you know potentially that's an alternative way of using him and one that might get him closer to goal and, and with more chances to score yeah um okay you are under some real time pressure here uh, because you've got I've to gotta go. get this mouth fixed you've yeah. got to get it but i do have one more go on i do have one more it comes from i should fucking where the fuck is it okay yeah here it is from beardy mcbeardface who's that bearded hannon good old beardy what's the worst fruit Ooh. Kiwi. Kiwi? Yeah. Why? Because they look like little kind of soft furry testicles. They're hairy. But you don't eat I the don't, hairy bit. 
Mm, yeah, but I don't want my fruit to be hairy. Do you know what I mean? Give me an adjective that would sound nice for a fruit. Juicy, sweet, delicious. Hairy? No. Mm. What do you think is the worst fruit? Um, Apples. What? Yeah. Why? They're, they're, I don't like them. I don't like the way you have to eat them. They're too, there's something sharp about apples. I can't eat, by the way, I'm not allowed to eat them because of this front tooth situation. I have to cut my apples up like a child. To yeah, eat. that makes sense. Um, I can't bite into an apple anymore. Yeah, I find like some of the skin on apples I don't particularly like. And I'm You've just- got to wash your apples for sure because I sometimes get a little like, allergic reaction to the skin. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. a buzz. Well, tingle. what's your what's your apple of choice? A Granny Smith, a Pink Lady? What is it? Pink Lady for me. Pink I lady. like a sweet apple. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like... Don't you like apple crumble? Apple I do. Tart. I really, I like, I like apple in things, but as a piece of fruit, they can go fuck themselves. But like to just eat on its own. Them. Have you ever had vomit fruit? No. Why would I have that- the one that smells like a, the sick thing? Yeah. What's it called again? They eat it in Malaysia. Um, it's got a real name. Durian. Yeah. No, I've never had one of those. smelliest fruit. No, never had. Never had. Uh, my wife has, and apparently it's... I mean, the smell is just completely overpowering. Um, so that's got to be up there. Well, Maybe not in my experience. In my experience, you know, I've, I've never had... I've it. never eaten a pear. Do you know about this? I think... I can't believe I've done this at a time I've got to go. You've never eaten a pear. Why not? I've n- I think we might have talked about this. We, I think we might I would have. eat a pear live on the Arscast Extra. Okay. I don't know why I've never eaten a pear. I just never got around to it. Right. You know what I mean? Like on my deathbed, I'll be like, they'll be like, did you have a good life? And I'll be like, wow. I never ate, <laughs> I never ate a pear. I never ate a pear. I, I wish could, I, I could have eaten a pear. Oh, I've wasted my life. <laughs> but I didn't have any front teeth, so I, I couldn't have bitten into it anyway. Can someone cut me some pear? <laughs> I'll just suckle on it for a while. Blend a pear and pour it into me <laughs> before I die. Yeah. No, a, a red apple that you bite into and it, the skin kind of gets caught between your teeth and then there's a sort of, there's a kind of dryness like a mothball in it. That's why I'm just not into apples in that sense. But apple crumble, apple pies, love it. Love those. Yeah, but just as a great. piece of fruit, I can't deal with apples. Just can't. Okay. 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 Well, listen. 11.24, you've got to be finished by 11.25. Get the hell out of here and get get your gold tooth in again and uh, rock mm. that audition. And um, yes. <laughs> I hope it oh, all I goes... I hope- I'll be back enunciating properly and everything on the on the next Arscast Extra. The next Arscast I'll see you all soon on the next Arscast Extra. Until next uh, time. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs> No, let's go, shall we? Yeah, we should go. All right. Um, thank you as ever for listening. Blah, 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 blah. Goodbye, James. See you Bye. soon. Bye. Bye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.